Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin podcast. My name is Matt Brusky, and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action and welcome to another week from Wisconsin, our first post Gen Ups Addison podcast. We hope things are going well for the Ups Addison family as they transition to Los Angeles. We are also without Jorna Taylor this week. Jorna is up in the Fox Valley working on a horse show. Uh, as our podcast listeners know, that shouldn't come as a shock, her love of horses. But we do have, as always, Robert Craig, Executive Director here at Citizen Action. Robert? Good morning, and I fully expect the Battleground California podcast to okay. be launched soon once Jennifer is settled. Yes, and I, I assume at some point we will hear, hear from Jen and have her on and hear about how things are going. So we do have a special panelist this week, a guest panelist, and that is new Citizen Action organizer, although I shouldn't say new. New Newish. She's, new she's been around <laughs> for six months, and, and that is Anna Dvorak. Anna, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on. So Anna is not only going to talk to us on the podcast about uh, all the topics and be on our panel this week, but we wanted Anna to tell her listeners a little bit about herself first of all, and then also about what she's doing here at Citizen Action. So Anna, why don't you tell everybody uh, a little bit more about Anna Dvorak? Sure. Thanks a lot, Matt. So I was born in Milwaukee, um, and I grew up going to uh, public schools and very happy with that. Uh, went to school in Illinois and studied Spanish, so I am bilingual. I also... I, so I went to school in Illinois, but I missed Wisconsin, so I came back and I saw the damage that was being done in our state. I graduated in 2012, so it was after Act 10 and all of that, and I wanted to come back and make a difference. So um, I have worked a brief stint at WEAC, um, Region 7, which is the suburbs of Milwaukee, and then I moved on to work at Citizen Action, and I'm really happy to be here. Well, we're excited to have you. You've obviously been doing a great job. And speaking of that job, why don't you tell our listeners what you've been doing helping launch here at Citizen Action? Sure. So um, five short months ago, Citizen Action came up with this bold new model to fund, uh, fund an organizer by the people, truly grassroots. Um, instead of relying on foundation grants to fund our work, we wanted to fund our work by people. And therefore work on the issues that they really care about. So we basically did the math. We found out that we needed 200 people to pay small monthly dues payments. And if we could find 200 people, we could actually fund a full-time professional organizer to work on the issues that matter to them. So we ran a 60-day drive. Kevin Kane and I uh, traveled all around the greater Milwaukee area and found over 200 people to help fund this project. And what we found is that people really want to say and where their money goes. They want to know that um, their contributions are working on issues that they care about. And so um, I am now the organizer for what is now known as the Citizen Action Organizing Cooperative. And my salary comes directly from the 200 plus people that fund this cooperative. And I work on the issues that matter to them. So you're accountable to them. Right? I am accountable to them. And so... I mean, people know our podcast listeners are great philanthropists, so they send contributions off to all sorts of worthy organizations working in areas they care about. And even though we trust those organizations, we don't really know where the money goes, right, mm -hmm. per se. In this, there's they're, they're shared governance. So there's a steering elected steering committee, there are issue committees that anyone can start up. And so we're seeking like a deeper level of member involvement, and we don't just call them members, right? 
Yes, we call them member owners because they do own one two hundredth, one two hundred thirteenth of 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 this cooperative and of of my salary. Right. What's What's also really exciting about this model is that we don't only want to do it here in the Greater Milwaukee area. We eventually want to expand it statewide. So we want we want to have cooperatives and or professional organizers working at the grassroots uh, level in in Janesville, in Superior, in Wausau, in Canoe. Ocean Racine. Um, we want to expand this so that we can ultimately build up our progressive power statewide. Because right now, uh, things are grim. And and I think what really has, has resonated with our member owners is that uh, they realize that what we've done in the past isn't working. And, and it's time to try some bold, new, innovative steps. Um, and this cooperative is, is, I believe, a great way to build up our power once again in, in this great state. So, Anna, if there are folks, well, first of all, if you live in the Milwaukee area, Milwaukee, Waukesha, or southeastern Wisconsin, how they could join this cooperative immediately. But also, if you live somewhere else, you mentioned a number of <laughs> wonderful areas around Wisconsin, but if one of our listeners is in one of those areas or somewhere else, what should they do if they're interested in this and they want to find out more? How do they get in touch with you? So you can feel free to send me an email if you just want more info, if you're interested in becoming a member owner yourself, or you are someone who doesn't live in the greater Milwaukee area and, want, and just wants to look into expanding in, in your area. Um, you can send me an email um, at anna.dvorak. That's my last name, spelled D as in David, V as in Victor, O-R-A-K, at citizenactionwi.org. And the, the vision here, and there, there was a video that launched the original, uh, in fact, we could provide a link to the video perhaps, uh, is to have a whole network of organizers completely accountable to member owners, so cooperatives around the state, so there's a permanent organizing infrastructure in the state to work on issues that matter in each local area, but which aligns it with a statewide strategy. Exactly, exactly. So we're glad you're here. We're glad you decided to come back from Illinois, although we love Illinois, right? Ooh, I don't know. That's Robert's from <laughs> Illinois. We're, we can't have any t- too, too much more Illinois, no. Oh, Kevin's Just kidding. from Illinois we're, as well. we're thrilled. We're thrilled you came back. And we're really happy to have you at Citizen Action. And I strongly encourage our listeners to take take a look at the cooperative. My wife and I are both member owners. And um, she's actually, I believe, on the board or the steering committee, the, ele- the elected group yes, to sort of help is. make decisions. So she's very, very excited about that. But let's get to the podcast. So this week, we want to spend some time talking about the debate last night. And we record Thursday morning. So Wednesday night, the GOP debate. Debate is um, it's a it's a loose. We use that word loosely here. This was C- absolutely fascinating. Three the CNN countdown clock is finally over. Hours, three hours of debate. Even even the Donald afterwards said, Phew, "That was a little bit too long." So, and let's say the Donald does know how long a TV a TV show should go. But Anna, we're glad to have you here to to add to our discussion. Uh, we're going to start with you. And get your initial thoughts about the debate. What what's your number one takeaway? Like, what what did you uh, think was most interesting about this debate? So I don't think Walker necessarily did 
poorly. Um, I just don't think he stood out at all. I mean, I was at a, I was at a popular Milwaukee uh, establishment. Um, and I art bar, you can art, say it. Art bar you in, uh, in the River bar, West. There are a lot of great uh, fellow progressives there watching the debate with me, and um, I just felt like <laughs> I was just picturing all the candidates in a in a beer, a, a, a bottle of beer, trying to like claw to the top and get some air, um, and and trying to stand out. And I don't think that Walker really did. Um, I think I saw um, in one article that I read that he had the least amount of airtime in in the three hour window, the the marathon that he was had less the than Huckabee. That that's really doing something since Huckabee didn't talk till almost an hour in. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So so all right, you brought up Walker. So let's let's first deal with Walker and then we'll move on. But so so my thought was that Walker really clearly tried to stand up to Trump. He had this this big exchange with him on his Wisconsin record. Uh, Robert, Anna, your thoughts on do you think he succeeded in at least sort of taking on Trump and getting any oxygen? Anna, you sound like you're a little doubtful. Robert, any 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 thoughts? Well, there was a high bar for what Walker had to do, given his invisible and plastic performance in the first debate. And so he needed to really stand out. And whatever you want to say about the policy chops of the people on the stage, there are a lot of big personalities. And overall, he had the, he had the nice little beginning going back and forth with Trump, maybe battling him to a draw. Uh, but then that was it. Then he disappeared. Yeah. Uh, Charlie Sykes, the right-wing talk show ho in Milwaukee that in, in large part made Scott Walker, said there needs to be an Amber Alert for a big part of the debate for Walker. Yeah, I, there were a whole section where you and almost it, forgot he was there, right? Yeah. Because he didn't want to engage on immigration, which is very interesting, uh, even though he's now famous for the Canadian border wall. And then um, <laughs> on top of that, that, you know, the journalists are counting everything. They counted the amount of airtime, and the person who got the most time was Donald Trump, and the person who got the least time was Scott Walker. And after the original exchange, we got really kind of pat you know, messaged up responses from Walker that were that were plastic and not very appealing. And he wouldn't even answer questions when he was asked about minimum wage and abolishing it. He tried to switch to the Affordable Care Act. And by the way, he is he put he, he said he's the only one with a plan to repeal and place Obamacare. No one else really picked that up. It might have been mentioned one or two, two other times. So he's trying to beat that dead horse. His plan to abolish unions in America. He did not find any way to give that traction. And so Really, I would say that it was probably a B minus when he needed an A plus. B minus at best. That's a generous. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a generous grader when I when I teach graduate oh, courses. That's that's very kind of you, Robert. <laughs> I, look, I, I I tend to think he's so low. The poll that came out on Wednesday or it was Tuesday, I can't remember, in New Hampshire showed that he was down to one percent. And I think some of the national polls earlier this week had him at two percent. He's so low um, that I wouldn't be surprised if he bumps up a little bit because. I think he at least got some of his tough guy, you know, message out and that he, you know, really did a lot of bold things here in Wisconsin. He also, I think, aside from the debate, did launch this this horrible anti-union proposal this week, right? Which I think he got some play, which I think but not, pro- much. Not, not much, much as much as he needs. Not much. We'll see, right? Like I, I would I would expect to see him rise just a little bit, but I just don't think he he cut through. And and part of it is it is hard to cut through. He brought when you up have... the hundred thousand people and not yeah, being intimidated yeah. right. again, yes, and that yeah. that really lame and you know. Well, and he couldn't answer the minimum wage thing, and and he had the grave misfortune of having the question sit up over the TV almost the whole time while he basically avoided the question. Right, and and as everybody knows, 
almost everybody believes there ought to be a minimum wage, right? And, and so, so I think that was not a good moment for him. But. Well, and uh, very amusingly, one of the things Trump is actually right about, which aren't that many things, are Walker's record on the economy and his record on the budget deficit. And we got this ridiculous, wiped out this giant budget deficit, and that, of course, yeah. recreated so a larger one. I want to follow up with a couple things and then move on uh, to a couple other topics. Robert, you mentioned the Affordable Care Act. Almost non non-existent in the discussion, right? Walker brought it up. It came up here and there, but it was not central red meat grist right now. This is what we've been saying, and this is why Citizen Action has launched a surge campaign after the second Supreme Court decision. Even the Republican electorate is ready to move on from this endless five-year-old debate and talk about what we do with the healthcare system moving forward. And it's really fascinating how this was the dominant Republican issue in the 2014 elections, all the way back to the 2010 elections. And now it's almost non-existent except for Walker, and he's plummeting like, uh, I don't know what, like, uh, like like a wounded bird. Right, and his his healthcare plan didn't really seem to do much for for him either. I mean, it doesn't didn't seem to help him bump up in the polls. I think that's what he had hoped, but um, it doesn't. His his plan to to for I guess as an alternative for the Affordable Care Act just doesn't seem to be gaining any traction either. So, a couple other questions. I so let's move on. Um, I want to talk a little bit about well, one Trump and in Carly Fiu. Fiorina. It's a little bit of a mouthful for me. Um, that seemed to be sort of the, the main battle. Uh, obviously, we, we can also talk about uh, Jeb Bush, but um, Carly shot back. That was probably one of the highlights of the night. Um, and then almost as much as what she said, what didn't she didn't say, and just sort of the, the look of her and Trump on the screen. Curious to get people's Responses: Do you think that this might be the beginning of Trump starting to wane a little bit, or do you think she started to make inroads and the other Republicans in terms of really going after Trump? Because clearly that was top job number one for most uh, was to go after Trump. What did they succeed? Well, it's perilous to try to predict the the fickle kind of likes and dislikes of the right wing base in this country. No one really predicted the Donald Trump phenomenon. So it makes sense, given that how well Ben Carson is also doing, that non-traditional candidates are doing better than elected like senators, right? I'm a senator, or people from dynasties like Bush or Clinton. And so she seems to fit the bill, She, uh, but we'll see if she really uh, attracts them, whether she really catches fire, but she, we'll see if she, if she starts really moving firmly into the upper tier, but I could see that happening. And that would definitely cut into all the people voting, uh, supporting the other non-establishment candidates, which would be Trump and Carson. That's a good answer, Robert. By the way, Robert, you're, you're a really good-looking guy, I think. <laughs> Everyone knew what Matt really meant with that. Men across Wisconsin you're, knew what Matt men, yeah, meant I by think, that. I think, he's, I think Robert's a good-looking guy, yeah. So, Anna, your thoughts on, on uh, the, this question? Not about whether Robert's a good-looking guy. Where's Trump and this whole, whole debate on his positioning versus women? Well, I... I think that Carly Fiorina had a really good uh, response. Uh, I mean, he's using, he's been using a lot of insults on not only uh, Carly Fiorina, but other candidates that are kind of, um, who said that? One of the candidates compared it to kind of middle school. uh, Yes, that he was like an eighth grader, right? Right, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I think, I think his opponents, uh, 
had basically came prepared to be able to um, respond to some of his kind of outlandish jabs. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think I think Fiorina did. I mean, I I'm not fond of her, but I think she did a really good job in in positioning herself as a strong candidate. Um, she seemed very confident. She seemed presidential. Um, unfortunately, I think she just she she was very strong on stage. She had the debate over the success or failure of her company with Trump. Yep, uh, and mm-hmm. her being fired by Hewlett Packard allegedly. So. That probably helped her because it had them at the same kind of level as right. far as... Well, it mentioned companies yeah. people are familiar yeah. with, right? She was this very serious CEO. She seems to have decided that strength is measured by the exact number of battalions and battleships yes. that well, need that was... to be built, which was amusing. <laughs> Look, <laughs> I, I'll give my answer to this. I think she was the big winner, right? Like, And, and, and there were parts of what she said that I comp- obviously completely disagree with and, 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 and not sure about, but... I think her response to Trump was powerful, and I think it was the most impressive of the pushback, and I think actually is going to gain traction. Plus, I think somebody's got to start to rise up, and, and, and I think she did the best of everyone. We'll see Marco Rubio, I think, also was very strong, on, relatively speaking, but, but I think she succeeded. I don't know that it's going to come at the, out of Trump. I, I think Trump has a solid grouping that's going to remain pretty solid, all the way through, and I, but I don't. I'm not. I'm not sure he has any more growth capacity. But we'll see. But I, I think that's the big news. I also think Carson struggled, and I and I think is is going to go down. I, I he's fairly high. I'm, I'm surprised he well, was that high. But we'll see. The Carson base is evangelical Christians, and we'll see. Maybe what he did is still sufficient for them. Do you see what I mean? It's not a bunch of right. kind of swingy suburban uh, secular voters. Um, I think the other big news, Matt, in this debate was the foreign policy discussion, yeah, which you were be next, bringing yep. up earlier. Uh, you have a strange situation where there is this overwhelming national consensus, even among conservatives, that the Iraq war was unnecessary and was a mistake. But they, of course, want to reposition themselves as now that we have ISIS, we need to basically have the same policies that caused the Iraq war, just to invade everything in sight, right, and put boots on the ground. And so you had this strange dance where Ron Paul, of course, is not on that, of that, of that position. Uh, but you had Paul, you had Carson being very strong on this issue and saying that sometimes war is not the answer. And they advise George Bush against going to war in Iraq specifically. Um, and so that was all exceedingly interesting, that kind of interplay. And that's an interplay where Scott Walker was nowhere. He was just reading talking points, just for example, when he was talking at all. And you had a real exchange where, uh, where and Trump, of course, was on that uh, position as well, that the Iraq war is a mistake. And they cornered Jeb where Jeb gave a very strong response, but he had to, where he said, everyone knows the one thing you can say about my brother is he kept us safe and kind of made it a, a moral kind of, you know, personal character issue rather than a policy issue. Yeah, I I thought from a policy standpoint, that was the highlight of the night. The discussion was very robust and compared to the, as you mentioned, the eighth grade, you know, sludge fest that was much of the night. Um, it was very important to to understand that you had the number one poll getter, the number two poll getter, and then of course you mentioned Rand Paul, who was who was by far the most lucid and clear in his throughout the night on his foreign policy. And by the way, this is like I mean, this is sort of base Republican George Kennan kind of policy that we ought to 
do things multilaterally. We need partners, right? Kasich was on this too, right? Really pushing this. We need to be pragmatic that we're, our strength comes from working jointly, right? Like this was Republican mainstream kind of containment, you know, NATO, right? The whole idea that you got to work with partners. And this notion that you would go in and rip up the treaty on the first day is one of the most shocking. And we, Robert, you've been talking about it's this. It's not just rip, remember? There's a, a contest over rip. Ted Cruz <laughs> Blow will shred. Yeah, shred. What else is going to be done to the treaty? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I thought this was one of the most important nights because I think it was about the soul of kind of what it means to be a Republican and their approach to international relations, right? Because you had probably close to 50% of the vo- the polling up there, right, between Trump and Carson, denouncing and clapping and high-fiving right next to Bush, right, which I thought was a very interesting and powerful moment. And, and you had on the other side Fiorina being how many battleships she's going to yeah. build. Mm-hmm. And you had, I, I agree with you that uh, Cruz was, uh, one of, I mean, not Cruz, uh, not Cruz at all. Paul was one of the most lucid. But yeah. the other one that was clear uh, was Rubio, but he was clearly on the other side yes, of it. He yes. was all, he, he right. was like a, a, a snarling attack dog ready and to, we're going to have force and we're going to show our, you know. But and, I think he did the best, yeah. right, going after that crowd and really coalescing yeah. that because Walker didn't he seems very sound credible at all, yeah. even though he's tried to position himself on the far right. He didn't sound like any great, impressive war hawk, if that was what Walker was trying to do. So are you scared as a, a millennial, Anna, of what you heard or not? <laughs> <laughs> No, I mean, it is very scary. Like, all of their positions are incredibly concerning. Um, but I think that the the game they're playing right now is to appeal to their base. This is this is not the presidential election that they're they're preparing for. They're preparing for the primary, and they're trying to win over base voters. And so they're saying a lot of ridiculous things. And I think there will be some walk back. Uh, with whoever wins the primary and gets the nomination. Um, but yes, all of it is very concerning, um, especially the war hawk talk, especially their their comments on uh, a woman's uh, freedom to choose uh, what happens to her body. Um, they were all uniform about eliminating Planned Parenthood. Right, right. And uh, their no stance... No debate on that. <laughs> yeah. Their stance on immigration—it's—it's um, it's all very concerning. Yeah, no, the the Robert, you guys all, and Anna, you just mentioned Planned Parenthood. I'd like to talk a little bit more about that because it was uniform across the board in terms of that hostility, and we've seen that play out with Walker, right? In terms of we have these bills moving currently through the legislature, uh, going after Title Title Ten funding for Planned Parenthood, and. And oh, Walker you know, said he'd already defunded. Yeah, Parenthood. no, he he certainly has uh, did it. I believe five clinics of defunding, right? Yes. But um, we had Nicole Safar on from Planned Parenthood a couple weeks ago talking about this, and and these continue to move through the legislature this week. We'll have a link to an article where Nicole is featured uh, significantly talking more about this. So we just want to remind our listeners that that. That battle that they were talking about last night is playing out immediately, and uh, folks should uh, keep staying in tuned, and we'll continue to follow that uh, on the podcast. And uh, we had just to we we need to be clear how completely ludicrous Trump is from a policy standpoint. We had Trump standing up there explaining how he's going to round up yeah. tens of millions of people yeah. and how easy it's going to be. And there are all these gangbangers, and we know who there are. I didn't know people were taking names that way. And, 
They're, and they're not citizens. We're just going to go and round them up and send them back to Mexico. And then Mexico is going to p- build a wall and pay for it. Yes. And then I also, what I found to be very entertaining is Ben Carson then spoke up. And I thought he was, it seemed, uh, at least at the beginning, that he was going to take a more uh, mm-hmm. pragmatic stance. <laughs> and, and he was like, but we, we, don't need to, we don't need to build a wall. We need to build two walls with a, a road in the middle. So trucks can drive through and, the and middle. We, and, we, and we need to create a second-class citizen status so yes. people can never vote or never do anything but can pick vegetables and fruits. Oh, I mean, this right. is what we heard I, from I the moralist. Like, that was one Pseudo of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, was, that was like, how low can we go? Like, can, can my knuckles actually drag without bending my knees while I walk, right? It because was, Americans don't want to do those jobs. It's That was that was a rough, <laughs> right. that was rough right. and embarrassing point. And, and by the way, this... The more they do this, right, they are really, really isolating themselves from the Latino community and, and the Asian community. This is spreading. The Asian community has gone from a very swing yes. constituency to very base democratic in the last couple cycles, dramatically. Yeah. And Latino people forget the Latino community was up for grabs in the mid-aughts. Now it's a very base democratic vote. So... And of course, these are the growing communities, so they know they have a problem. Yeah, and you can but see they can't help themselves. This was fully on display with with Jeb Bush sitting up there, right? Who knows better, right? Is trying to talk and, and doing the best job of, of sounding rational and reasonable. Tried and, to jump on Trump about and, insulting his wife. Yeah, right. right. And, and, <laughs> and he, I think he won that battle. And, and if I'm correct, Fiorina also brought up. This idea that like there was something really un-American about this idea that you wouldn't allow second gener you know the second generation baby to, to, to be American that it was there there there's fault lines there that are that are interesting that that are coming up but man that th- that debate is moving to the right very quickly so one other thing before we switch off of um, and get any final summaries um, I just want to point out to Anna and your contemporaries. Um, Carly wants you to be very concerned. The marijuana you're smoking is much harsher now than the marijuana Jeb Bush smoked. Yes, that's that's my medical update for all you listeners, all you young folks out there that might be experimenting with marijuana. It's much harsher today. That was um, so. Anyways, that's <laughs> why we thank still you, have the great states from Jeb Bush yes. here, thanks I, to the weakness of that was <laughs> that, that was like a that were, was like a flashback to 1950s and 60s uh, scary movies about oh. the horrors of drugs and stuff. It was just I sort thought of it this was closer to Bill deaf. Clinton's not inhaling. <laughs> yes, it was, right. uh, it, was, it was really weak marijuana, so it's, don't worry. <laughs> it it's like just that. it's just that it's got to stop. But anyways, uh, that aside, yeah, so that was any a other weird last conversation about abrogating all of Colorado's laws and the Tenth Amendment discussion was actually fairly interesting. And yep. Rand Paul yep. was, my goodness, he, one of the things he's decent on is a breath of fresh air on mass incarceration, yep. the, 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 the structural racism of it all, and how the drug war is literally uh, creating a, a two-tiered society, all coming from a guy on the Republican stage. And he went after Jeb really, yeah. really harsh on that, because yeah. Jeb was trying to you know, have have it both ways, and he was being very clear that ultimately you can say that, but if your policies have this impact, you got to grapple with that. Right, and I I feel like that's the first time I've ever heard anyone on the conservative end talking about you know civil rights crisis of our time. So um, 
very surprising. And it's why Rand Paul has no chance in hell at the Republican nomination. Well, yes. <laughs> well, I'll just say that this. Too. I, I now have a deeper appreciation why he wanted to run, though, and he's up on that stage, and I'm glad he's up on that stage. Uh, you know, as much as Trump, one of his great lines was to ask, I don't even understand why Rand Paul's here. Yeah. Well, anyone who watched <laughs> got it, right? He provided really important contrast and discussion. Almost all of the best policy discussions came out of conversations and things that he had to say. So I was glad, whereas Trump was providing all the eighth grade, you know, right. And uh, Trump assaulted, fun. also started to try to assault in some weird way Rand Paul's looks. You may yeah. recall this coming, <laughs> as the Fiorina campaign yeah. pointed out uh, earlier, from a man who wears a squirrel on his head. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. Look, there's. There's very few people in that uh, on that stage that ought to be uh, having any uh, beauty contest, right? So, anyways, but let's move on. I think we've had enough GOP debate. I think that's the most and probably well, the, we'll ever talk about that well, race. Well, the, the pretty boy is Chris Christie, but aside from oh that, God, yeah. <laughs> holy so smokes! I think I Chris is done. But oh, before we finish, I want your predictions. Who are the next people to drop out besides the people who weren't on the stage? So Jindal. I assume that whole crew needs to step aside. But on the stage last night, who's there the first a, one to drop out? Bit, when I turned it on briefly, the JV debate at the beginning, I didn't quite <laughs> catch glutton. the whole thing, but there was a um, big dust-up going on between Lindsey Graham. Who? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, no, no, I'm just kidding. So, yeah, no, the, let's ignore them. So of and, the fo- and Jindal. Yeah. It was, qu- it, it, was, it was a poodle fight. Anyway. Okay. So <laughs> we, we now know Robert spent over... Three I hours caught a watching piece debates of it. last night. So, so, all right, Anna, who's the first one to drop out of that crew on stage last night? Oh man, um, I think Scott Walker did really poorly, but I think he's gonna stick in it um, until he starts to lose some of the the primaries in the states. Um, maybe Kasich. Um, Kasich. I, yeah. Robert. See, Kasich's doing a little better in New Hampshire because so he doesn't need to jump out right away and he and he's one of these true believers in himself. So you have to, it's not just how they did in the debate, it's how much money they have and it has to do with what they're at, at some point they become not candidates for president but pres- candidates for vice president and how many of them are that or are, are candidates for a cabinet position then they go and endorse, you know, the front runner at so some Robert, point. So Robert, who's going to be the next person to drop out? I'm guessing Huckabee. Okay, I'm gonna go with Christie. Ah, I think Christie got some traction last night, oh. so I'm not picking him. Well, I, I agree with Huckabee. So Huckabee, Huckabee could be. I just think he's he's uh, he's kind of a true believer. But you're right. I, Huckabee was my second choice. I think Rand Paul needs to stick around and clearly um, found his reason to exist last night. It's clearly, Rubio is playing this kind oh, of like in. middle yeah. of the pack in a horse race kind of game where he thinks he's going to move up and then and then win down the stretch. I think the question is who gains the most, Rubio or Fiorina, and who, who's getting the most oxygen out of this debate last night. We'll see. Um, so, all right, well, that's interesting. Um, on to our next discussion. We're going to move back into the state of Wisconsin exclusively. Where Governor Walker may be returning. We, we may be getting him uh, sooner than we thought. Um, we want to talk about it. We're going to quickly run around a number of things that happened this week. Uh, the biggest news in our minds is the Democratic bill that was introduced this week to essentially close parts of WEDEC and bring it back into a state agency which we have been calling for for a couple of years now. We think the current structure of WEDEC is completely dysfunctional, and 
and is is not capable of of, of change. So, Robert, obviously, want to get your thoughts. We think this, it's huge news, right, to ha- have this movement uh, by the Democrats to actually get out there and, and stake out this position. Yeah, it's a huge development. We have been calling for the closing of WEDEC for quite some time, and a number of our members, nearly 3,000, have signed petitions asking for the closure of WEDEC. Uh, the leaders of the, uh, the Democrat Democratic legislators in this area have been slow to come around to that. And I'll give them some benefit of the doubt here. They have, this is Peter Barca and Julie Lassa, tried to take a constructive stance, tried to work within WEDEC, tried to make it better. And so I think that they were in earnest in doing that. I just think we've thought since it was the, the whole uh, plan, the whole scheme was announced, it's been f- fatally flawed, and that was a losing game. But they tried it, and you could argue that that's the ethical thing to do, to try to make it work. But now they've come out and say it needs to be disbanded and abolished, and we need to have a fully public accountable agency to handle the money. We can have some PR done uh, through public-private partnerships. Oh, and they're good at that. So... So we're encouraged. This is actually the WEDEC thing. It's been a disaster for the people of Wisconsin because we're creating less economic opportunity than we could. Uh, but this has allowed us to talk not just talk about economic development in a different way, to talk about what its purpose is. And its purpose is not to fund any particular business. And I can't believe conservatives think that it is, right? It is that if a business, by giving it a loan or grant, um, or a tax credit that's evidence-based would create more economic opportunity than other possible investments, then it's worth doing as an investment for the people of Wisconsin, for workers. But no business is owed money uh, from the public unless there's some public benefit that is quantifiable, accountable, and, uh, and based on evidence. And so this bill doesn't have, a, at least in the outline they've provided, the drafting instructions doesn't have everything that we would propose, and I think I'll probably do a blog to say what else we would suggest. It doesn't currently say that it would ban money for outsourcing companies, as, as Senator Hansen and uh, Representatives Jorgensen and Colsty have proposed, for example, it's a five-year ban. Uh, there are other things I think that could be there as well, but it's a huge step, and it's the beginning of what we need to do, which is to lay out a progressive economic platform so voters don't know just what we're against, but what we're for and what we can do uh, for the state. And I hope we can get Democrats as far along the road towards a progressive economic agenda as possible before they retake power in a couple cycles. Right. And and Wiedek actually is is a great example of how uh, trickle-down economics and that whole theory just doesn't work. Um, one of the main, whenever whenever income inequality was brought up during the GOP debates, if I could just bring us back to last night, whenever that was brought up, uh, taxing the rich at a level that's that's proportionate to how we or or fair uh, compared to how we tax uh, middle and lower class Americans um, was seen as a way to punish the successful. Um, and we shouldn't punish those people that that are creating jobs and that are, uh, you know, doing well in our economy. Um, and and Wiedek is is <laughs> it's it's basically following that same model. Yeah, that's an excellent point, and it's part of the reason why they cannot see that this is flawed. And so we have things like Senator Fitzgerald coming out and saying. That he's not interested in closing WEDEC. He thinks WEDEC is having successes, right? Successes locally, right? Oh, in my district, things are great, right? Well, we did 
we obviously released some research that showed WEDEC was indeed producing more jobs in Republican districts. So maybe Senator Fitzgerald has a warped or has an accurate perception of what he's seeing in his district, but just, clearly not, right? Well, you have just, audits and you have law breaking and you would have somebody come out and actually articulate that they believe this thing is having successes. And, and, and evidence of corruption, okay? Yeah, right. Circumstantial evidence of corruption. Campaign donors, as our friends at One Wisconsin now pointed out, getting a bulk of the money, right? So here's the fundamental thing. And this is where we as progressives need to make a clear case so the public understands in a bright line what is going on. They actually believe, conservatives, that just handing out money to well-connected businesses causes good things to happen. That's right. With That's no strings of what, attached, no saying. accountability. Yeah. Most of the public, except for a tiny minority, does not believe that. But we have done a terrible job of pointing out that that is our economic strategy. And one of the things we have to do in order to make that case is to say, rather than being negative about government, is here's what a good strategy would be. Because, pe uh, because pe the people need to, again, have faith and hope that our democracy can expand economic opportunity again. And that's what's lacking. And so this is a step in that direction. Yeah, and, and, and connecting also back to what you said, Anna, I think what is instructive on that stage last night was that position that they're pushing is not a close to a majoritarian position. And you saw that with Trump, right? Trump got up and, and expressed very clearly, right, that he thinks that we need a progressive tax structure and blasted them for saying, like, you got to be kidding that it's completely unfair. I mean, he basically described if you didn't have a progressive uh, tax structure, how unfair it was. And flat, flat out said he was going to go after, um, what was it, the Wall Street, the um, oh, can't hedge, fund hedge, fund, hedge fund managers, and flat out said he thinks it's unfair. And he knows these people and knows that they're not paying enough money and, and brought up basic fairness. So I think it's important for Democrats, progressives, right, to understand that while they're pushing that drivel, it is not even close to most, most, most of the public does not believe that, right? And I, and I think Trump gets that and is articulating that and realizes his base, while they may be angry and full of all sorts of kind of irrational things, they do not believe the corporate class is... Um, somehow helping them out either. So um, it's, 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 uh, it's all the more reason why the Democrats need to get out front on this WEDEC and really continue to articulate a clear message of what, if we're going to create economic opportunity, what that would look like under progressive leadership. And I know we won't spend time on this, but in a related story we can talk about down the line, yet another voucher school is closing. Uh, what is the name of it? The Daughters of the Father Christian Academy. Of amazing and wonderful miracles. Yes. Just sure, I'll and, throw and that on. And still no voucher accountability bill, despite the promises. Well, the miracle, Robert, and was so, to make $5.4 million disappear. But doesn't matter that's the miracle because we're going to expand it anyway without evidence it works. In fact, evidence it doesn't work, right, and undermine the financing of our public schools. So, again, counterfactual, non-factual conservative policy no desire to have any accountability, and no, and who will be responsible? Which Republican legislature is he standing up and saying, we apologize to all the children who literally had their education damaged because literally a year of bad education, the research shows, harms the, the life prospects of kids. A lot of them don't catch up, and so that we are not playing games here. Yep. And so people should be ashamed, conservatives should be ashamed of themselves, and the shady fly by operators trying to create these schools should be ashamed of themselves and need to be exposed. Uh, shout out to Fox uh, 6 News here in Milwaukee who did the story and really uh, went and tracked down uh, the school who was trying to basically not, you know, communicate. So it's very important that this story uh, got out. Uh, other big news this week, 
is we have an election coming up next spring, and there is a very important Supreme Court race that just got a little more interesting this week, and that's because Supreme Court Justice Crooks is uh, considered a bit of a swing swingish. Uh, a justice, we'll, we'll let that out, sit out there for a moment, is going to retire. And so we now have three candidates, two ostensibly more progressive candidates and the more con- conservative um, Rebecca Bradley is in the race. So any thoughts uh, on, on the Supreme Court race and, and, and this uh, new information? Just that people should be ready for a spring election. <laughs> and we, I think we found out since 2010, if people didn't know this before, that the Supreme Court and the state matters. The reason there's no John Doe investigation, the reason Act 10 went fully into effect, just to name a couple, is because we have a completely ideological Supreme Court that doesn't recuse itself uh, w- when it has vast and horrendous conflicts of interest, such as the people who funded their campaigns and, the, and all the TV ads to get them elected, uh, literally standing before them in judgment. Yeah, and just just to kind of get a lay of the land, um, the other candidates out there right now are uh, Judge Joanne Kloppenberg, who ran back uh, in 2010 against Prosser um, and lost in a um, somewhat dramatic way. Oh, if you remember? Anna. Oh, Anna, you're getting people going. Here, here we go. We're gonna have. We know what happened in Waukesha, don't we? Yes, 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 yes. that race. And who else is running? Um, and then there's a uh, Milwaukee County Circuit Court Judge Joe Donald, um, who seems to be running, uh, really pushing the the message that he's he's running as a true independent um, and uh, unbiased uh, judge in this race. So we'll see we'll see what happens. And if Judge Donald was to win, he'd be the first elected African American state Supreme Court justice. We had uh, Justice Lewis Butler who was appointed by Governor Doyle and then lost to the sleazy fake uh, jurist uh, Michael Gableman after the Willie Horton style ads were run against him, shredding the entire judicial code of conduct in the process. Well, we're going to continue to watch this race. We'll talk more about uh, this race going forward and the different candidates in it. It should be very interesting. And as Robert said, it's obviously very important. So uh, that is really it for this week. We need to move to our furloughs. And so, Anna, as you know, we like to know one thing you're going to be doing this weekend or something interesting that you'd recommend to our listeners that they should be doing this weekend. Well, I know Doors Open Milwaukee uh, is happening this weekend. There's going to be a bunch of historical buildings and places uh, open for the public. Um, I believe that's Friday evening. I need to check the Facebook event again. Um, There's so many events going on. Um, But I also plan to go on a a long bike ride with my aunt in uh, West Bend on Saturday. That sounds great. Yeah. Well, and as you may or may not know, it's... This next part is like going to the dentist or trying to get a root canal. Robert, what are you doing this weekend? <laughs> You're so rough on Robert. <laughs> Come on. Come on. As our friend Bruce Coburn would say. So uh, I'm going to shame Matt. Oh. So it is my brother Michael's 50th birthday. And so he's going to come up and celebrate. Happy birthday, Rogue Craig. With my other brother who lives in Milwaukee, Ted. He's a te- Michael is a teacher in Chicago, teaches uh, mostly African-American and Latino middle school kids in the seventh, in the, uh, seventh grade. And then um, in addition, 
Um, though I won't be able to go down, one of my best friends from college, from my time in the Deep South at University of Georgia when I got my master's degree, uh, Mike Janice is having his 50th birthday on Sunday. So I'm d sending pictures and uh, stories and the like, but will not be able to attend, but will wish him probably a happy birthday, a happy 50th birthday as well. So a lot of 50s here. Well, you, so does that measure up, Matt? It does. You, okay? you let yeah, Jeff... Robert's going to be partying yeah, this weekend. This is exciting. Let Jeff Janice know. I'm really sorry he got cut by the Packers. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, this weekend, hopefully Friday night, I'm going to be going to a Rufus King football game. I've been basically browbeating my son to pick a game because I want to go see a high yeah, school football game with them. Rufus so. King, Delano refuses to go to a game. <laughs> so I've got so yeah, but uh, fortunately, uh, Gabe is excited about the thought. So hopefully Friday night, Bonnie, uh, Gabe, and I will be heading to a Rufus King game. Will he be joining the spirit squad? I don't think so. My goal is I've been trying to get him on the drum line. He's been drumming for about four years now, and he's a little shy. And as you know, the drum line, it's not shy. That is... Uh, that is uh, Anna's, Anything but a shy I don't think Anna's sure job. what to do with high school football, given <laughs> Shorewood's reputation for high school football. It's All right. terrible. They <laughs> once cut the team for a year. We yes. had a soccer game for our homecoming game. Yes, yes, exactly. Yeah, the glory, glory days of Shorewood. And then, of course, uh, Saturday and Sunday, it is our last District 16 race. And I should let all the listeners know the... Uh, Ever adventurous Bonnie Brusky was racing last weekend and will be racing Saturday afternoon out at Ostalon. It is our final race. So, hey, everyone in Milwaukee, Madison, south, southern Wisconsin, Ostalon this weekend, Saturday night, flat track racing. Uh, same on Sunday. Come on out and, and watch the racing. Both my sons, uh, Gabe and Ezra, will be racing. So that's what I'll be doing this weekend. We look forward to having Jorna Taylor back next <laughs> week. Anna Dvorak for coming on and talking to us about the co-op and talking to us about uh, all the other issues we discussed. So thank you, Mary. Yeah, thanks we'll, for having me. We'll see everybody next week here at the Battleground Discovery Podcast. Hey.